What's up, everybody? This is No Chance Podcast, the podcast about everything and nothing at the same damn time. My name is Ryan. My name is Nate. Thank you all for listening. Let's get to it. Yo, episode two. What's up, guys? We're back. Episode two. It's No Chance Podcast. As always, your host and host, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) And Nate. I was going to say hostess, but that's not right. That's like a female host. Sorry. My bad. Um, Anyways, welcome back to uh, No Chance Podcast, guys. If it's uh, probably your first time listening or hopefully your second time listening to a podcast, because that means you listened to our first episode, then congrats. You made it to the uh, second chapter. Second, maybe last episode. Definitely not. But this is going to be a saga that's going to go on forever, so uh, thanks for sticking with us. Um, it's been a long fucking day, dude. Yeah. It's like, what time is it right now? It's like 9 o'clock. It's 9 p.m. right now. It's 9 o'clock on a Wednesday. Yeah. Oh my We're God. trying to wrap this up so we can get this out to you by Friday yeah. at, the, at the least. I think it's all about consistency with these things. I think it goes with anything. It's like you got to make sure you have it out like all the time. Yeah, you know, like if if there's one person in the world that's like waiting for that episode on a Friday, yeah, and we don't do it, then we lose our. Yeah, you know, and the thing about anything fan. like this, as far as like anything, any like creative venture, I feel like it's more about putting out content yeah. rather than trying to perfect it in the very first yeah. like iteration. You know, but we're both like you know we we are both victims of that because we just we just want to be perfect, man. We want to yeah. be you know a plus quality. You know, yeah. Michelin Michelin star rated podcast yeah that'd be tight we could be the first ones (laughs) and uh so i mean bear in mind this is only our second episode so just um yeah i mean it's it's a growing growing pains is what we're all gonna experience yeah but it's it's good um anyways what are we gonna be talking about today you know what we didn't talk about last episode is why we decided to call this podcast no chance yeah um if any of you think that's a stupid name, blame Ryan because he came up with it. I honestly so... don't think it's a stupid name. I didn't so, say I thought it was a stupid yeah, name. Yeah, just I mean, for anybody out there that I, might. I remember, I remember the moment where it just came to me. I was just watching uh, one of my favorite movies, The Warriors. If you haven't watched it, definitely go watch it. Um, it's a really good movie. Classic, cult classic uh, gang movie. Um, it wasn't even that special of a scene. He just said the words, no chance, and I thought that was like the greatest thing ever. I texted it to you, and you were like, let's sure. do it. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> but, sure I just texted back, But okay. for the most, most part, you're down for anything, so I don't know if that's a good thing that I said. I could have sent you some bullshit, like, oh, let's call our podcast, like, Aquafina. I'm down. All right, see? All right. But anyways, yeah, that's why we decided to call it No Chance, and then you could always, you know, attach a little bit of uh, a mission statement. Yeah, whatever, whatever sort part. of... Um, I don't know. Whatever sort Whatever of you vibe you want to attach you know to I mean? that. Yeah. I, I chose No Chance, and I thought it was a good one because I feel like, you know, if you're not within that circle, at least within San Francisco, that circle kind of consists of, you know, like the cool kids, the rappers, and all that stuff. Um, if you're not in, in that circle, there's really no chance for you to kind of make it. So I felt like that was a good name to kind of exemplify what we're trying to do is just 
prove the naysayers wrong, and basically you don't have to be in the in that in the mix. We don't have any naysayers because nobody knows about us, but there will be. There will eventually, be, and they're gonna listen to the second episode and be like, "Yeah, see, we warned you from the very beginning not to <laughs> fuck with us." <laughs> but yeah, man, this is a no chance podcast, and it it was invented by me. Just saying. Um, All right. Anyways, what are what are what are the topics we're gonna be talking about today? So one of the big things that I wanted to kind of you know pick your brain about, and and this is a good example of just what you recently came back from, which is what a trip from Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Is pretty much just like how does streetwear live in in other countries or you know? just other places? Other in places general. in general. Yeah. Doesn't even have to be other countries. It could be you know a city that's you know twenty minutes away, and someone could be dressing. A, drastically different from how you dress yeah i was just curious to to see like when you were out there Mm -hmm. you know in europe and that's a good example because they have a lot of fashion weeks and stuff oh yeah fashion's huge out there it's it's a lot different what's like some of the 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 subtleties that you noticed um i mean for the most part i think european fashion and fashion here in the u.s as far as like streetwear is concerned yeah um, it's pretty much on the same plane at this point. Um, again, like we talked about in the first episode, because of the internet, yeah. everybody knows about everything. For so sure. um, it's a little harder to find regions with their own distinct style. I think streetwear in general um, lately has just been kind of like a hodgepodge of everything, hodgepodge. like Europe the US, Japan, like mixing all of that together. You don't think that even within within Europe, obviously in the Bay Area, it's very similar across all cities, yeah, yeah. right? But in a place like Europe where countries can differ between like 10, 15 miles, you're in an entirely different place culture-wise, mm-hmm. yeah. I feel like styles are completely different. You think so? Like think compared to, okay, so countries in Europe um, so let's say France compared to like the mm-hmm. UK yeah like you think that's a huge difference yeah for sure yeah but I would think that I mean I don't really have like a map in front of me so I don't really know my countries uh, uh, that well yeah but just I could imagine the differences of pe- how people dress in terms of like if you were to see somebody in Paris mm-hmm. compared to if you were to see somebody in like, Italy well I don't know how, how far of a difference that is to I be mean honest. As far as the comparison between, like, the UK and, let's say, for example, like, Paris or, let's say, like, Florence or Milan, I think the UK has more of a kind of a street-style look, whereas the people in Paris or Florence, for instance, they kind of have more of a higher-end look. I was going to say, like, artistic. Yeah, I feel like... In Europe, in general, they mix more high fashion with their streetwear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they do that everywhere, but That's I feel true. like it's more prevalent over there, uh, just because that is kind of like the birthplace of high fashion. But yeah. um, obviously, you have major fashion houses in Paris, yeah, Italy, really all that. So obviously, from, yeah. they're going to be wearing that stuff. Whereas the UK, maybe not as much. So I, I, I feel like that can, they're distinct in that aspect. Yeah. But so why is it then that like, and one of the things I noticed in just kind of looking. Because I saw recently on my feed, I saw like a, I don't know how to pronounce it, I don't want to butcher it, just okay. Para? Pada? Para? Para? Yeah, they do yeah. like all the, you know, they're like European Like brand. the really colorful graphics. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, there's certain, like, that, that doesn't do too well out here. 
but it does amazing out there. Yeah. But what is it that they attract themselves to, like a palace, how it does so well out there? It's mm-hmm. done, you know, it's done great out here, but only for the purposes of, you know, being resold yeah. for the most part. But why does a brand do so well out in a specific country, if that makes sense? Mm, that's a good question. Um, why do they attach themselves to it? Is it because... Oh, I'm like the same way we would support a brand like Huff because it's in our backyard. Like, yeah, I support Huff because it's it's a uh, design. Well, pretty much designed and made in San Francisco. It's made for San Franciscans, mm-hmm. if that's the correct word. But why do people attach themselves well, so much to the stuff out there? Like, I think that's. I think you just hit it right on the head. I think people just have sort of a sense of pride for brands that come from where they come from like obviously here in san francisco i feel like that's a very san francisco thing um like we talked about before um everybody here is takes pride in being from the bay area and i definitely just take pride taking pride in being part of this community you know i think that's very that's like a very bay area thing so i think that's what it is in terms of streetwear yeah i think it's just people gravitate towards stuff that um, they're familiar with they're sense? familiar with and that's accessible to them like easily accessible to them like ge- geographically speaking yeah you can um, almost take it as far as like you almost look at that brand that's designing say like for for instance San Francisco you almost look at it like the designer was probably thinking about the same things that I think of yeah on a day-to-day exactly basis. It, yeah because you relate I feel like you would relate more to that brand because yeah. Obviously, if they're coming from the same place as you, they're obviously going to have a similar perspective, um, a similar similar viewpoint on whatever life in general, you know, yeah. so you're going to gravitate toward that more. That makes sense. But but I guess I think about it like this. If you had 100 brands based out of San Francisco, mm-hmm. we're going to probably like all of them. You know what I mean? I would, yeah, I'd say for the most part, for, yeah. For, for the most part. But mm-hmm. for some reason, like... You look at a brand like a UK brand like like Palace, mm-hmm. and you don't even see that really being worn in like a a Paris. Uh, I mean, you kind of do, but it's like right when you step outside of that that geographical location, it's like nobody's like, nah, I don't really like fuck with that. I fuck with this brand that's more around me type of thing. You know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. how far do brands actually stretch mm-hmm. in terms of their like their likeliness or how much people perceive like how big of a following do they yeah. have outside of their there's not too many brands that like actually do that yeah i mean i can only name a couple off the top of my head supreme is probably supreme one of them for, for whatever yeah for whatever reason that and we can get into like giant brands like nike but that's loved all over the place but yeah. if we're thinking about strictly streetwear i couldn't even think of anything other than supreme yeah supreme Maybe Stussy, but I feel like that's more of like a U.S. thing. U.S. and Japan type thing. Yeah. I don't see that being worn in like in Europe European countries. Yeah. yeah. So it's 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 kind of funny to see how, and it, and think about it like this because Supreme has a very like niche like message mm. when it comes to their clothing and how they like wear it and how they feature it. It's yeah. like, but you see it worn in all these different countries. Mm. But I think it's how they how they wear it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you see how people would wear a pair of track pants in Europe, mm-hmm. and it's, you know, it looks like they're skinny fit, basically. Just fitted, everything's very sleek, but if you look at those same track pants in Japan, it's like, 
90s b-boy like, like it looks huge like oversized bag. yeah yeah so it's weird how how a brand like say huff could never really live in europe the way that a supreme can yeah that's true that is i don't know what it is about what it what does it have to be about a brand in order for it to live you know outside geographically of, outside its own little yeah bubble. that's a good question i mean uh i don't know that's a good it's question tough, right it's a very tough so, question so when you're and think think about it from the sense of like whenever we think of streetwear we don't ever think of marketing advertising we think of word of mouth that's like the the, the most popular way that a streetwear brand kind of like sets itself apart like lookbooks, nobody cares about how you advertise the lookbook or how you advertise, you know, products. Yeah, because people aren't going to remember. They that don't make commercials. Streetwear companies don't really make commercials like that. Yeah. And if they do, they're only on YouTube, so yeah. it, it doesn't make a sense. They're not being seen on a wider scale. So, how does a brand do it? What is a brand? How does a brand different differentiate? How do you say it? Differentiate. Differentiate themselves from other brands in terms of being more global because that's what every brand wants to be right unless you're you're like one of those like hard-headed ass companies of just like i want to be here sourced here made here supplies from here i don't want to be anywhere else well i think it has a lot to do with the time period that the brands kind of become popular because yeah, you're right like if you think about it huff was maybe peak like peaked in what maybe like 2006 seven eight yeah, there. I would say like eight, maybe ten at the latest. Yeah, when I graduated from high school, I don't think it was around. Yeah, I mean, but if you look at a brand like Supreme, which obviously has been around for how many years? Since 1994, how many ever? 20, however, however many 20, years that is, it's late. I can't do math. But um, <laughs> if you look at a, if you compare the two, I feel like Supreme became popular at the right time because at the when they became popular, that's when the internet social media kind of took off mm. so that kind of went hand in hand with that you know yeah because when huff was around when that peaked through you people weren't really using the internet yeah. to look up things like streetwear or anything yeah, like true. that they were it, it was still word of mouth back then you still had to talk to people see what other people were wearing Do in you know person when supreme hit like that um, i wouldn't even say the apex because i feel like it's still like i felt like the apex was like when Tyler the Creator started wearing it. Yeah, I was gonna say like 2010. You think so? Like that. I think when it became more more visible on the internet. I think yeah. like 2010 around that time yeah. was when it really took off. Um, I think it was obviously it was really popular even before that, but I think that's when it hit its peak. Damn. Like around that. I just uh, remember energy. like even before that period. I think it was around like 2008, 2009. I mean, I would just try to go on the, the website mm -hmm. and everything would always be sold out. That's everybody's issue with Supreme. They yeah. just always complain about everything selling out. Um, but then I just remember once that, that period of like him and Yonkers came out and he had the hat on yeah. and everybody started dressing like him. It's just like, oh shit, things just got a lot harder to like buy yeah. their stuff, you know what yeah. I mean? But that self marketing that promotion without even having to put out ads or anything because mm -hmm. people were doing it for them yeah spread it even farther like all over the world yeah like, that, that's exactly what i'm trying to get at is that they didn't necessarily have to do any marketing themselves yeah. that other people did it for them and i think those two go in hand in hand because they both kind of became 
they both became popular at the same time, if that makes yeah. sense, you know? I think if it's just popular in general, like anything that, that kind of like goes viral, yeah, s- people in like other countries are going to figure out how to make it yeah. for themselves. Yeah. Like I said, like the people in Japan, they'll take a track pant that's supposedly supposed to be worn this way. Traditionally, mm-hmm. they'll wear it like, you know, one leg up, like they're about to go break dance or something like that. You yeah. know what I mean? So it's crazy how that kind of works out and how... Well, not too many brands. Really, only one that I've ever noticed makes that really happen. You know. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm just. It's just fucking crazy to think that that's a thing. Is you'd assume like if these brands are doing good, they're doing good all over the place. Yeah. But it's really if you like break it down, it's just like oh, just in the states. Yeah. Or, oh, just in London. Oh, just in here. But I don't know. And I feel like it. It really depends on who the core consumer is that they're trying to cater to. You know, because yeah. obviously. I don't think Huff is trying to cater to anyone in, let's say, like in Italy or in wherever, you know? Like they're more of kind of like a city kind of skate brand, you know? So So I think like San Francisco or New York, I feel like those would be the markets that they're trying to go after. I don't think they're necessarily trying to go for the ones that want to wear it with like... I always think about this, though. I always think about this. If I were to have a brand, right, say, like, you traditionally start a brand because maybe you want to make some shirts for your friends or Mm -hmm. you have a funny saying or a good message to put out there, right? Yeah. Say you get to a point where, okay, I I have some shirts. Only my homies are buying them. If anything, I'm not making any money off of it. Yeah. Next thing you know, one of your homies who's who's like a rapper, he blows up. Then you find yourself, you know, to the point where you have a full-on clothing line wouldn't you want to be everywhere at that point when originally you started with the idea of you know what i like this idea of just being local i like this idea of you know supporting you know the areas that i am always around yeah but then once it blows up it's like i want to be worldwide now yeah you wouldn't think that that every brand sort of thinks like that i would say for the most part most do but there's still some people that at the, at the end of the day they're not really in it for the money they're just in it to it's like a put something of theirs yeah they're in it to put something of theirs out there you know you can tell with the brands that do it for the money or to capture a moment mm-hmm. within like just history in general they never last long no <laughs> they never ever last maybe long. a few years at most but they're definitely not going to be here for decades there know? was a lot of brands that were started just off of the idea of making like kangaroo pockets on on hoodies making those prints oh yeah they're or like pocket tees with like different prints and yep. pockets yeah. bucket hats yeah i think the only one that I, I i kind of solely remember like popping up when that thing sort of like happened was like you remember a brand called Rip and Dip? Yeah. The one with like the cats now. Yeah. And now they're just they're going crazy. Like yeah, they, had they have the, a store on them. Fucking. Yeah, they have a store, and they had the uh, the Toyota Prius wrapped in uh, purple camo, like yeah, the babe car. Yeah. That was sick, but it's. I mean, you could you could definitely make it happen. It's just how do you how do you adapt off of a, a fad? Yeah, and that's another thing. Like we were talking about in the last episode, is that fashion streetwear evolves so quickly these days that in order to stay afloat as a brand you have to be constantly you have to be one step ahead of everybody else Mm -hmm. otherwise you're not going to be able to stay i don't see bucket hats no nobody wears bucket hats anymore no not even in the summer 
when they're supposed to be worn. No. Nobody wears them. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck? And I guess the, the, my next question now, just to, and it kind of jumps into our next topic of, of like moments, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could even look at it as like moments in history in like a, in a, in a general sense, moments in terms of like society. Yeah. You know what I mean? So how does, and we can see how streetwear kind of reinvents itself as it goes, whether it's from, you know, decade by decade, you can see how different it is from the 80s and 90s to 2000s. Yeah. Personally, the 2000s were the ugliest. The worst. In out terms of, all of fashion. Those, yeah. Just like huge pants. Hey, like but that. maybe that'll be the thing in like 20 years from maybe. now. Maybe. Maybe I mean, that'll be the People in trend. Japan still kind of live that. Yeah. In, in a sense. But anyways, how, how do we see sort of society and like the moments in history that affect streetwear, streetwear. and, and vice versa? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's weird how interrelated the two are. But nobody thinks of Nobody it. thinks about it. And I didn't really think about it until very recently. Yeah. You think um, about it in terms of, of, of like, more microscopic, mm-hmm. right? You think of, like, this rapper started this trend. This is why it's like that. Yeah. But think about in terms of years or even decades. Yeah. No one really looks... Everybody looks at fashion... Um, at a specific point yeah. being influenced by one specific event mm-hmm. but they don't really look at the larger picture and see how even like history can change dude yeah the face by of all means though there, there are viral moments right oh, yeah definitely. like there's there's viral moments the the result in supreme popping off so so largely the way it did is because of a viral moment yeah. but there's a entire history in how all these other historical moments played into that brand's uprise because it wasn't it wasn't just it was just a shirt company at one point Mm -hmm. me talking about supreme but there's other companies or even other fashion styles that originated from huge monumental moments in history i think what i mean yeah i think the most apparent one or at least the one that's pretty obvious today is uh like post-soviet russia and like russia yeah Um, I mean, I feel like Gosha is really just a representation of kind of the scene after the Soviet Union collapsed. You know, yeah. it reflects that one major moment in history. And it was like that's that's a very very like pivotal moment. Yeah. In that region's history. In the as well. the connection there doesn't always seem so apparent, so obvious, but once you kind of look at it a little bit deeper, you realize that after the Soviet Union collapsed, like all of a sudden everybody had kind of this sense of freedom to yeah. express themselves. So do whatever you want. They were doing whatever they they were going crazy. Yeah, like they think were, about it like think about it like this. It's like okay, we weren't alive when the great like earthquake happened, right? Yeah. It was that 1902, 1904. Yeah. There's also another one in what, 19. 80s. I don't 86, know. 86, 89. I think something so. Like something, that. A, yeah. something around that. Yeah, something. That was a, a monumental moment, but not in the sense of it affected, you know, infrastructures. It didn't affect politics in San Francisco. Yeah. It, it just affected us physically. Mm-hmm. I don't think anything has come out from that in terms of like, you no know, clothing. Changing. Maybe like the only recognizable thing was like Huffquake. Yeah. Because San Francisco is known to have earthquakes or even yeah. just the Bay Area in general. Yeah. California in general for the most part Mm -hmm. but that wasn't the type of thing that for our parents well 
that wasn't that long ago actually so like we would okay we weren't alive to be like younger at that time yeah but when our parents were were there and they had I, I know my brother was about 15 16 when that earthquake happened yeah but it it's not something that like affects him to the point where he's going to be like I'm I love the fact that that happened it was the craziest moment of my life yeah and it doesn't produce anything further it's just like a it's like getting your first like shot it's like oh that hurt but I still reflect back onto it every time it a doesn't shot really happens. change you as it a person you. necessarily yeah or like change of what you're interested in or things like that think think about those the grandparents that were in the time where like for example the Berlin Wall collapse right mm. their grandparents were affected by that in the, the craziest way that you could ever imagine just yeah. being around that scene like feeling you know like suffocated by government all that stuff mm. their grand those those parents told those their kids when they grew up of the experiences that that, that they had and still the government probably affected them too when yeah. they were, when they were younger those parents told their kids and even though the the owners or the designers of Gosha probably were never around during that time mm-hmm. their parents their grandparents they probably still feel the after effects of it because it's still relatively recent like stuff like that at yeah. least yeah so obviously you're going to be feeling at least some of the after effects of Definitely. those events like you that you could probably even still see like a line of where the wall was at one point yeah and i feel like culture changes pretty rapidly but mm-hmm. in such a pivotal moment like that there's still going to be 20 years from from that time point there's still going to be kind of remnants of that same yeah. sort of um, culture or society you know yeah. so i think that definitely affects everything it doesn't it have does. to be just streetwear it could be any uh part of society so i think yeah. that's like the big the big point we're trying to drive home it's weird to to think that like that could produce something like this yeah because nobody would ever think to be like obviously kids in that area have their own sense of style Mm -hmm. and if you look back to it it was like on the uprise this entire time like the clothing style which is like the track suits and it's like kappa clothing and all that stuff right like that's Mm -hmm. what they were wearing then uh, with like runners and trainers and all that stuff which is really what is in now yeah sort of like widespread Mm -hmm. but to think that it took an event like that or for somebody to create a brand based off an event like that yeah it just makes you think like what like how do other countries or even cities like how do their street how does their streetwear scene reflect the history that's taking place yeah i think another apparent example of that would be Japan like post World War Two. Yep. You know? Um Ooh. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Military inspired like garb. Military for gear, sure. like workwear, like jet the Japanese are if you don't know, the Japanese are pretty obsessed with anything Amer- anything and everything Americana. Yeah. Like we were saying, military gear anything really think, like, okay, think about it like wow that just opened up a whole like fucking like plethora of ideas just think about their obsession with military garb or military inspired clothing yeah think about the brands you have uh like double taps visvum visvum you have um and, and anything inspired by just american times back then like, you have um like neighborhood neighborhood yeah fucking 
oh my god there's there's so there's Just like there's literally so many of them. literally so many and you brands can, you, can you can pick name. you can pick each thing that they do out of, like neighborhood is like strictly just like motorcycle jackets just like like hardcore fucking rock and like yeah. like all that shit and then just just like um double taps it's just like all like army inspired like just like military inspired yeah. shit and this is coming from the adults who were then kids back then mm-hmm. who probably had parents who were in the war or were placed into you know whatever camps or you know different things yeah like had that. some sort of connection to yeah. the, like, world war Two or just post-war japan in general yeah so. so it makes it that much more authentic yeah to the point of like you know it's because i always thought of it like this is the japanese when it came to their streetwear brands were just trying to mimic what america was doing in terms of theirs obviously everybody has their inspirations of the early stussy mm-hmm. the, the supreme maybe even like a huff right yeah but like to think like oh they're just pulling from american culture but rather thinking of it as like the japanese were taking from japanese culture does well, that make sense? Yeah, that's kind of crazy. That's crazy, <laughs> right? Yeah. It fucking blows my mind because I never thought of it like that because you don't think of the jet you don't think of that when it comes to the, the Japanese culture just like, oh, they don't they don't, you know, have the origination of just like rock and roll yeah. or like, you know, heavy metal or like motorcycle, like all that stuff, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But when it comes to how their streetwear brands look, it's like Dude, you guys know it better than us, kind of. Yeah, I think... Yeah, that's weird to think about. Oh, my God. I think it's it's weird because people All in Japan... All around that. Yeah, people in Japan look to the U.S. Yeah. And they kind of have an interest or a liking for stuff or po- American pop culture. Yeah. But people in the U.S. tend to look at Japan mm-hmm. the same way. Yeah. So I think it's weird because both countries are both cultures are kind of feeding off of yeah. each other and it's it's almost like a paradox it goes both ways i know yeah because like it's we like pull from them in the sense of like babe babe is huge over here obviously it's it's the biggest thing out there as well but like we pull babe over here they pull you know whatever like vintage whatever vintage everything like over there where yeah but to think that a moment like world war ii obviously one of the biggest moments in american history obviously yeah to think that they they pulled nuggets out of that to create what is now some of the biggest brands mm-hmm. in the world. Yeah. It blows my fucking mind. Yeah. And I think since we're talking about history so much, I think it has to do with um, the US like occupying Japan after yeah, World War Two. Like obviously there's gonna be there there's American servicemen there hanging out, you know, walking around. Yeah. So if you're wearing kimonos all day and you see this guy wearing a jacket, like a military jacket, yeah. you'd be like, what is that? Like, what is that? That's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Yeah, and it exactly. sticks in your head because yeah. you see something that's, you know, drastically different from what, from what you're normally wearing. So that's such a crazy idea. Yeah. It's, rem- it, oh, my dude, God. It is so, it's so weird how interconnected history and streetwear and fashion are in general. Oh, yeah. It's ridiculous. For sure. It goes way deeper than any like anybody realizes which i think is really cool yeah because people think being interested in fashion is just some sort of superficial thing yeah. but it goes way deeper than that. i'm glad that it's being celebrated though like i'm glad that there's people maybe maybe not a lot of people understand it the way that that me and you do but i i'm glad that there's people out there that actually 
can celebrate it in a sense. Like a good like a good example, and it's it's a bit of an obvious one, but not too many people think of it, especially outside of the states, is like the celebration of Cortez and Hispanic culture. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's it's very underrated in the sense of like where Cortez came from. But mm-hmm. when when you actually look into it and see all the culture behind why they chose a Cortez and why it was a shoe for them and how that plays into you know, their sort of, like, rise in Los Angeles. Like, you don't think of that if you're coming from, like, New York. You think of Cortez as just, like, it's just another shoe. Yeah. But, at, and that's why I'm, I'm glad that Nike kind of pulled that. It was just like, oh, cool. Like, yeah. shout out to uh, the Cortez for sure. Or, like, New York and their Force One or, yeah. or whatever whatever other yeah. shoe, you know? So how do, how do, you, how do you pick, how, how, does, how does a city get a shoe? You know what I mean? Like, I San Francisco doesn't have a shoe. No. We don't have a no. shoe. Not a shoe that's iconic in our city, at least. L.A. has a shoe. New York has like a shoe. Cortez, Air Force One. Chicago, like Jordans, obviously. There you go. Jordans in Chicago, for sure. Yeah. San Francisco doesn't have a shoe. Washington, D.C., phone posits. Yo, that's <laughs> true. Wale put those on the Yo, map, for shout sure. Out to, shout out to Foams and... Damn, that's D&D so true. folk out there listening, maybe I don't know. Wow, I, I would I was gonna say Chuck Taylor's, but that's not a no. That's not phone posits out there, man. No, like Chuck Taylor's in San Francisco. Oh, but I don't think so. No, not really. San Francisco, I don't know. While we're on the topic of geography, why don't we talk about San Francisco and or the Bay Area in general? Yeah, the wears there's a lot. Of, there's a lot to kind of pick at, especially because like we've been here. And we know quite and have a bit. experienced it yeah. for pretty much our entire lives. Yeah. Like, there's just so much to kind of pick at in terms of like where this originates from. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the main focuses of our podcast and why we we decided to start something like this is it, it's going to give us an outlet to kind of figure out where streetwear or how streetwear originated in San Francisco. Yeah, and whether it's bringing some of the early pioneers of it onto this show and hopefully we can get to that point yeah you know like a Benny Gold or you know I'm really I'm really excited to kind of reach out to the guy who started that Team Terrible uh oh yeah um he like was like one of the original guys that worked at Huff back in the day yeah and also he probably knows Benny and he he was on the Mash team, like the Mash store, mm-hmm. and that's a that's a super underrated brand out here in San Francisco. Benny Gold actually designed that logo too, which is sick. That looks very fragmenty. History, you know I mean. history, yeah, crazy. History, right? history it goes way back. And I think you got to know if you're out here. You yeah, definitely got to know. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about in episode one, uh, we think it's important that you know what you're buying or what you're in, like at least know some sort of history of you know what you're interested in yeah it's what separates you from being a poser yeah in my honest opinion <laughs> yeah, like yeah. if you know your shit and you know even a year it was you know established yeah. that's good enough for me man that means you care enough to look into it yeah and i think that shows that you have at least some sort of appreciation for whatever that thing may be um like a brand or whatever yeah you know so i think that's what we're going to be kind of trying to explore is why we ourselves as people growing up in the bay area why we why we like gravitated towards streetwear exactly well okay what was do you remember the first like streetwear-esque piece that you remember that kind of like sparked your interest um 
Was it like a shirt? Not off the top of my head, honestly. Really? I mean, like when I first really started wearing streetwear, mm-hmm. it was mainly just like Nike and Jordan stuff. So nothing like, mind you, I was like in fourth or fifth grade. So obviously I didn't know what streetwear yeah. was at the time. So I yeah. was just wearing whatever was put in front of me. But yeah. Nothing really. You don't remember the first like streetwear piece that you you either had or saw, and you were like, "What the hell is that?" When you got older. No, not really. Really? I remember. Do you remember a brand called Triple Five Soul? I do. Dude, my brother They're used to Bay. rock that. They were for sure in East Bay. My brother used to rock that all the time, and I feel like that was the one of the very first interactions I had with. Yeah streetwear i still see them around like every oh, now yeah, and then for sure it's weird yeah it's weird because they were actually along with lrg and a couple yeah, of the other ones like, they were some of yeah. the first like some of those brands were mark ones. echo was considered a streetwear yeah, brand, and yeah those were really early on yeah mark echo definitely wasn't the first thing that i saw and was like i gotta get into this yeah, yeah. i think the first thing that i had ever seen and it might have been a little bit later but i just remember seeing it and thinking it was the craziest thing i've like ever was those LRG deadhead hoodies. The full yeah, zip the hoodie full with zip. the thing. Yep. I, I, I remember seeing that and was like, this is ridiculous. Crazy. Like yeah. first of all, it's an all over print. Mm-hmm. Second of all, the zipper goes all the way to the top and you wear it like a mask. I never knew the significance of that ever. Yeah. That's what kind of sparked me looking into oh oh what the fuck is this? Oh LRG. Oh this there's a hoodie on Google that looks like just like it, but there's it's like a monkey on it. Yeah, dude. That's I where think I found that's bait. one of them too. There used to be this guy, in I think this was like fourth or fifth grade, and he was like he was rocking bait hoodies there. Yeah. And it, I, I would always just be like, "What is that? Yeah. Like, what, are you, what are you wearing? Because like, all I've of never seen anything like, like that a before. thing yeah. before. Yeah. And that's what kind of sparked it. I remember there was a smoke shop near my uh, my school, maybe about like ten minutes. And after one kid, I, I only knew one kid at my school that wore a real babe hoodie. Mm-hmm. Everybody else was wearing fake babe hoodies. Yeah. And when I found out that this smoke shop down the street from my school was selling them, I was able to call out every, I, I, I got, I had done enough research to, to know like what tags were real, like what prints were actually a real thing. Yeah. So fake, fape, babe, babe, babe hoodies were, were that was like your a first like streetwear. Yeah. I think that was the first first memory. ones for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it, it's crazy because like there wasn't other than Huff, we didn't have something that exploded like that. The hundreds maybe. That was like born and bred in San Francisco. Like we were pulling it from all, all yeah, these other places. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I could I couldn't even think. I mean there was that that good golden era of Huff. What about like Black Scale? Never was into that. No? Never. That was never your thing? You never even at least liked it a little bit. I would love to meet Mega. Yeah. He. I know that he has a, a he's very deeply rooted in the streetwear culture, at least in San Francisco as well. I yeah. mean, he had his shop over here. Um, he was around during the old Huff days. Mm. He was actually in lines too, from people that we've talked to, just in lines at the Huff releases. Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of people that we feel like would be perfect to kind of talk to and kind of get their insight on you know how streetwear was because obviously we weren't, we weren't old enough or yeah even like it wasn't the peak of like our sort of 
streetwear knowledge or streetwear. Yeah, what I mean, we came across. obviously we were young, so we yeah. didn't know anything. How we to just... go camp? We couldn't yeah. do that. There was no way we could do that. Yeah, but it, it'd be cool to to kind of like backtrack and reflect on that with the people that were in their their heyday at you know, the time that'd be sick that would be cool actually because they, they would fill you in on stuff that you probably we probably even knew nothing about yeah like they're the secret spots yeah you know like to think that there was what dark side initiative now what most people think of just it being a singular shop mm-hmm. used to be another shop called nort slash recon yeah owned by a, the like most famous like graffiti artist there is fucking stash, stash like yeah. to think like that was a thing and for most people who just walk in there just like oh it's a cool shoe store yeah like, oh i hate that like, like there's yeah, history to know. this place you man there's know. history yeah. yeah like that that's definitely one of the things that i feel like we should definitely and that's our mission man the, the mission of this podcast is to get to the root of where sort of street war started and how it started with us and why we love it so much yeah and I think, I think that's super important. Yeah, I think it's a learning experience for everybody in that aspect. We're learning more about why yeah. we like the things that we like. Yeah. And we're also learning the history of all and, that. And it's going to take it's gonna take a while. Yeah. But uh, definitely bear with us, man, because it's going to be an exciting journey as we figure out the story of, of streetwear. In, in, as it unfolds. As it unfolds in San yeah. Francisco. And maybe we might come to a, another country and figure figure out the mystery of streetwear there. Maybe. We're not maybe. we're not quite at that point, but Not yet. We will be though. Will one be. day soon. Yeah. So yeah, man. That's I episode that's two of yeah. the No Chance Podcast. Thanks for listening guys. We're out. Peace. Peace.